traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We are live at the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update here in Kitty, Texas, 2022. First time back in a couple years due to all the COVID stuff. I've got Dr. <laughs> Sean Kennedy here. He'll be joined with uh, Dr. Mark Knobloch from the University of Houston. We're talking about cryotherapy research. So obviously, this has got to be a very pun intended hot topic because there's so many athletic trainers that hate ice. And then so many of them don't do research. They just, oh, I don't like it. And so this is something that we personally almost don't use ice at all in the athletic training room unless it's for a visitor. Um, but that's because we don't want to use it for a Band-Aid. So it's really interesting to to actually hear what the research is saying. So Dr. Knobloch, why don't you go ahead and welcome our guest, Mr. or Dr. Sean Kennedy. Thank you, Jeremy. Sean, welcome. Great talk. Um, personally, I always love the science side of it instead of the anecdotes. Well, you should do this. And you provided a lot of studies and even some position statements. So if you could just uh, start off, could you tell a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you went to school, and then uh, maybe why you went into physical therapy or, or your, your chosen field or what area that you, you know, you talked about cryotherapy as a physical therapist, but um, what, what's your interest in that? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me, first of all, guys. Uh, very excited to be here uh, and the opportunity to present today. Uh, I went to school at St. Louis University. I did my undergraduate work and my, uh, my physical therapy work all at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, immediately when I got done with my, my post-professional training, I went on to Fort Worth, Texas at Texas Health Sports Medicine, uh, formerly Ben Hogan Sports Medicine up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to do my sports physical therapy residency. Uh, where we got to work primarily in the collegiate athletic setting with Texas Christian University and the University of Texas at Arlington. Um, I worked up there for about four or five years, and then I just moved down here to uh, to Houston to join the Ironman team uh, with Dr. John Conley, who's a, a renowned shoulder and elbow specialist now in the Houston area. So if you have any issues with your shoulder now, come find us I at mean, the medical center. We're in Houston. Yeah, the med center, first of all, but the orthopedics down here is just second to none. So um, you gave a talk on cryotherapy, and you did a really good job of, of different areas of cryotherapy, not just cold application for injury, which you talked about, heat illness, et cetera. And so Jeremy kind of gave me a segue slash stole my first topic, and that is <laughs> cryotherapy, especially ice applications, probably the most studied area, arguably the most studied area in our field of athletic training, and it's probably got the longest history. But you you have, just like Jeremy said, you have some individuals you hurt, here, here's an ice bag, see them tomorrow. And you have others that it's kind of a newer, newer mindset of ice is inhibiting the inflammatory process. I'm not giving your body a chance to even know it's hurt. And so I don't want to hear you say whether, which, which side you're on, but what do you tell people when they argue like, no, give them ice or they say, no, I mean, how do you, as an athletic trainer, if I want to explore that way, what is my answer? Maybe to a parent that says, well, do I just ice it? You know, what else goes into that? Yeah, of course. And you're going to have the, the fun part about our professions, whether it be physical therapy, athletic training, or any of the, the more allied health and sports medicine is that, you know, we have a lot of interpretation, right? So there's so many factors that goes into the treatment of an injured 
persons or an injured athlete that makes it really hard to have clear consensus, clear guidelines to follow on rehabilitation with injuries, right? There's so many factors that we can't control for. Uh, so with that being said, everyone's going to have their own interpretation of those types of things, whether it be cryotherapy, whether they think stretching is the best for this immediately after or we need to go right into, you know, active range of motion and strengthening. So when it comes to the use of cryotherapy after injuries, and especially kind of how you framed it when you're talking with maybe that parent that comes into the training room after the football game and their kids and they're hurt, I think there's a lot of different factors that can go into that decision-making process without having to be so far on one side of the fence or the other saying don't use it all or use it for the next three days straight, right? One, there's no clear consensus on how to dose that, right? So what's the best thing? Is it 20 minutes? Is it mm-hmm. an hour straight? Is it three times a day? Is it every hour on the hour? Uh, I don't know. I've heard, I've done them all and I've heard them all. Done so them all, heard them all, right? Exactly. You're and, exactly right. And that's a great part too, right? So we talk about everyone being able to interpret and there's there's obviously the push for evidence-based practice in our fields, but there's also always going to be something to say about experience and more so that kind of practice-based evidence approach to rehabilitation, right? And I think uh, Jackie did a great job yesterday talking about her her persistent quads atrophy case of giving that perspective of, I did a lot of things that are evidence-supported. I also had to get creative to get this athlete to where they needed to go. Uh, when it comes to injuries and ice after, you're right, there definitely is a time frame. Dr. Otten talked a lot yesterday about uh, the chemical messaging behind, you mm-hmm. know, injury or quad atrophy and that immediately postoperatively, immediately after injury, there is a period of swelling and inflammation where there is good cells coming into that joint space to help you know, recover that athlete recover to help that injury go through the process it needs to. But there's a certain point where that becomes essentially pathologic swelling, where it's delaying the healing process because it may be inhibiting a joint range of motion, as I talked about, inhibiting quadriceps or muscle function and ability uh, to where the point where now that's an issue that we need to take care of. So what's the best answer for that? I don't even have it. I don't think any of us do. Um, I would say there's probably a place to let the swelling process take its course immediately after an injury, but there's going to be a time point where you need to decide as a clinician, is this inhibiting my follow-up treatment? And that's actually that. a third technique I've heard is give them a same with anti-inflammatories, actually. Give them a couple days, let their body recognize something's wrong, then start blocking it so it doesn't get profuse mm-hmm. and debilitating. You know, we can still practice with a swollen ankle or with a sprained ankle, but let's not let the swelling set in it, but your body's got to know it's there. And so I, I, I fully agree with what you're saying. Of course, and take it a step further. Some of the some of the studies that I cited in my presentation today looked at cryotherapy, but cryotherapy and compression alone. So take it a step further. Do I tell this person just to ice? Should I wrap them in an ace wrap and tell them to ice over the ace wrap? Should I have them go out and buy out a, go out and buy a compression garment? Should I put them in a game ready? I mean, the evidence would say that the compression probably plays a little more effect on mm-hmm. the inflammation process than the ice does alone. But I don't see any issues with combining the two. I, I love game ready units postoperatively with my, you know, postoperative knee and ankle patients and, and, and whatnot. So uh, I don't think there's an issue with using yeah. both. And actually it's interesting because kind of what Jeremy's hitting at, he doesn't really use a lot of ice and we have other people that live by it. And I told, tell our students all the time, listen to both of their arguments. If they say, if, if, if somebody says to you, well, I don't use ice and your answer is why not? And they say, well, it's just because I was taught. There's no science behind that. But if they, if you talk to these people, listen to them and then go do the research and you might, you get to choose which side you want. There is no rule that says, you you know, when it comes to cryotherapy, you have to do this or this. There are, you know, with C-spine and some traumatic injuries, you have to do certain things a certain way. But I think really listening and, and, and I've even been, had my mind changed on some of these things because I didn't, you know, I'd always, I was taught this and. I tell our students that's my biggest pet peeve is if you can't justify why you're doing something. You just, well, this is what we're told to do. This is what we're taught. Why is that? I don't know. And so, yeah, listen to these theories out there. So 
And another, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, you just said on probably the most important piece that anyone could take away from any of these talks is that your, your mind can be changed. It never has to be a dichotomous yes or no, whether it's ice, whether it's heat, whether it's stretching, whether it's, you know, letting the kid go home and sleep for three days before you even do anything with them. There's, there, there's no, there shouldn't be uh, any stagnant thought process what in a, the evolving landscape of sports What medicine. a great segue to my next point when you, because of something you talked about, and that is full body immersion. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, Jeremy probably remembers we were, as athletic trainers, were taught you don't do full body immersion for an overheated athlete because the belief was all that you would, you know, the, the cold reflex would shunt all the warm blood inward and it would trap it in there and heat their core up. Mm-hmm. And now we know that's not true through science. And actually I was talking to, I can't remember which researcher it was. They said the athlete is actually begging for it. It's not, you know, used to think, oh, you don't want to get in a cold shower because it's almost painful. You don't want to yeah, jump in ice water. It shocks the system. It right? shocks yeah, the system. Now they said, like we've had, we've done this on athletes and they're begging us, please get me in there. And so talk a little bit about how that's kind of shifted towards the, 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 the mindset, obviously, but this, what the science shows, and you, you made a great point, you showed several different types of cooling aid, cooling processes, but full body immersion in ice water is effectively the, the most rapid way to delete, to reduce body temperature. Recovery. recovery. Or sorry, no, I'm sorry, heat illness. Heat illness, thank you. Uh, sorry, I want to clarify that between recovery, performance recovery, and heat illness. And now I forgot your question one more time. Yeah, what, what the, so the, the old school theory was somebody's <laughs> having heat illness issue. Yes. Do not put them in ice water because you'll, you'll shunt the blood inward and mm-hmm. you'll further heat them up. But the science has shown otherwise. Full body immersion in ice water is actually very effective at rapid cooling for an overheated athlete. And so talk about some of the methods you compared that to in your talk. Thank you. And how effective full body immersion actually is, which is a total paradigm shift from 20 years ago when we were like, don't ever do that. Yeah. Wonderful. So some of the things that I brought up in my presentation, uh, outside of just the brief reminders of some of the position statements on, you know, how to treat heat related illness. And, and more importantly, we, you know, I kind of framed it more around, uh, heat stroke, um, and kind of that, that top tier of heat related illness that is, you know, if not left untreated or that athlete goes too long without their core temperature reducing, uh, you know, becoming a life threatening, mm-hmm. um, pathology. Looking at like looking at the effects of different types of cold therapies on reducing core temperature, there's a huge swing. And some of the figures I mentioned was if you go with a method with an athlete that truly is going through heat stroke, you know, has a core rectal temperature of greater than 104 degrees, uh, putting ice packs alone on them is going to cool them very, very slowly. You know, when you look at kind of the cooling rate in the math you could do between getting them down to a steady state, which is thought to be 101 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, that can take upwards of 80 minutes in some athletes with the joint application. With the joint application, packs. joint. Yeah. I think the I think the actual uh, terminology in that paper was over a major arteries, mm. arteries and veins. So, kind of in the groin, mm-hmm. looking at more of the femoral artery and some of the other major arteries, like under the axilla with the mm-hmm. axillary artery and whatnot. You take that to something kind of in the middle. You get your athlete off the field. You put them in the in the shade. You you fan them. Maybe spritz some cold water on them. Gets a little better. Gets them there about 15 minutes and gets their core, their core While they're still done. at 104, 105 yeah, 104 for 15, 15 20 yeah, exactly. minutes. It still yeah. takes about 15 to 20 minutes uh, to where we get the gold standard, kind of one of the largest uh, jumps, even from the previous, you know, the, the second best cooling method. You get a significantly higher cooling rate with cold body, uh, full body water immersion of 35 degrees. Uh, can take less than five minutes in mm-hmm. some athletes. And, of course, there's tons of factors that's going to go into those cooling rates. Those are averages. It depend, you know, it's going to depend on the size of the athlete and, a number of factors that in the most perfectly designed study that we'll never be able to control for. Mm-hmm. Uh, just something that that's the scientific process is not going to allow us to control and see exactly how, you know, weight or body composition is going to affect those cooling rates, right? Just someone who carries more muscle mass compared to someone who has maybe more fat mass, do they cool more quickly or less quickly? 
uh, something that is probably not even going to be consistent within the same mm-hmm. group of people. So um, when it comes down to it, like I said, as far as as far as the NATA is concerned, from position statements that cold water immersion is going to be the gold standard to try and you know save the life of your athletes if they are under undergoing exertional heat stroke. Yeah, and so you you brought up recovery because that was my next topic, and so talking about recovery from a strenuous workout, you mentioned that cold water or, or water immersion is actually beneficial on reducing strength, excuse me, reducing soreness, et cetera. So going back to what we, we talked earlier about an argument, well, the argument is, well, you have to cause the damage to get the hypertrophy, but what's the value of reducing perceived soreness, et cetera, for that athlete? So you, you're not reducing the damage, but you're reducing the perception of it by maybe doing it a cold water immersion. How, how can that be beneficial in, you know, from a, from a clinical aspect? That for somebody that maybe is trying to improve muscle mass, et cetera? Great question. So to answer that question, I'd say you have to explore that topic in full. And if you stop right where you left that question off and say, well, if there's muscle-induced damage from strenuous exercise, especially, you know, if you think more of like your heavy eccentric exercise mm-hmm. in a weightlifting session or even in high-intensity performance like a sporting event, um, if you, if you just go at it with the mindset that they need those days to recover, accelerating, you know, the way they feel might be almost borderline detrimental with the way you frame that kind of that question and that mindset of if they're having this muscle damage and there's these, you know, the muscle damage and we're trying to get them to feel better so they can go back out and do it all again the next day without adequate recovery. Uh, theoretically, yes, that could lead to, you know, more chronic adaptions or chronic injuries or acute injuries, even if they're theoretically, you know, performing in a more fatigued state, they just don't feel like it, right? So the other part of that, though, is is looking at some of the things that we do know are associated with muscle damage, looking at your, some of the blood biomarkers of what we know are kind of indicator have been correlated with, you know, muscle damage when we actually look at fiber, ty- not fiber type, but composition of fiber after those. So serum creatine kinase is kind of the, the quick and dirty, mm-hmm. at gold standard, use that loosely but right. uh you but know a pretty highly variable highly but it, variable but, right. but it's something that if you're really interested in that i want to know it's not very difficult to it's get cheap your blood it's draw. it's yep. cheap uh, and something that you can monitor so with that effect when you look at these studies and you see that serum creatine kinase is reduced meaning there's less indications that muscles are damaged that's part of that process too is that they may feel better but also there's studies to point and show that that there's lower serum creatine kinase in the system indicating that whether it's the immersion or other factors that are helping aid the recovery, they are recovering mm-hmm. uh, between sessions. But to your point, there's you can never you can never underestimate the fact that even though they feel good, they may not be in the most rested or optimal state to perform at 100. percent Right. Again, that's one of those things where there's just you're never going to fully know. Yeah, and that's what science is all about. We're trying to find these answers, and it keeps people like us in in research and, and employed, and t- keeps us changing our minds every now and then as well. So. So that's kind of where I want to go with the, with the interview. So I don't have any further questions for him unless you do. No, I, I didn't hear the topic because I was over here doing other interviews. Mm. And so, again, it, it's just interesting to, to see that it's research and not just here you should ice or you shouldn't, but here, here's the research. <laughs> it, it's, it has been. That's the problem. Here, just ice. I mean, I remember when I was in school, it was just put, have mice, have mice. Why? You know, could we be doing this instead? And, and I'm not at all against ice, but do we know what's going on? And is there appropriate times to use it? Inappropriate. Besides, you know, don't ice before practice, always ice after. We have it. Is there other times? Should they? Be? And you, you, you made a great point. Is it three times a day? Is it 20 minutes on the top of every hour? Rest for 40. You know, ice. Can they ice at night? 
How long do they leave it on? There's so many things that people just can't justify in a lot of cases. They yeah, just only say, ice they just, or reusable ice bags, the freezer packs, oh, yeah. you know, those kind of things. So yeah, how quickly do those lose the cool temperature? You mm-hmm. know, come can they, room temperature? Can they burn the skin? Do you have to have a paper towel underneath them? Is the paper towel supposed to be wet or not? How many layers of ice wrap can you ice over? There's so many things that people just they just they just do it. And I and, I, and that's a great example. I remember <laughs> seeing I've seen several people that put a couple layers of ACE wrap over, over swelling and then put an ice bag over it. And I know of a clear study that shows it takes like 160 minutes for one layer of ACE wrap skin. I think it was a half an inch deep to get as cold as if you played it to the skin. And so it, it just validates that, you know, people need to understand and, and do their research and, and pay attention and not just do it because that's what they're, you know, told to do. I was supposed to do this. Why are you doing it that way? Could you do it a better way? And so that's kind of what science drives. Oh, yeah, and that's the great point too, right? So even if you go with the method of that's what I learned in school, so that's why I did it, be inquisitive with your exactly. teachers. Exactly. They're not going to yeah. get mad Challenge or be upset. I mean, I, exactly. I, I you, love it. You know more than I do. And so I, I kind of keeps me on my toes as well. And there are several times I'll tell them, that's, I'm not sure that's a great question. Let's, let's find out together. Or, you know, I'll look that up or whatever. But yeah, because it just it doesn't help the athlete. It's not best practices if you're just doing things to do them. Exactly. And if, but, you're, if you're trying to make that critical appraisal, too, and think, should I use ice or not? Uh, I talked a little bit, you know, especially in the training room setting, high school athletes, you're dealing with hundreds of athletes that may come in for five minutes before class and maybe they're an hour before class, uh, you know, budgeting that time uh, effectively to help aid in their recovery, whether that's just between practices or recovering from an acute or, you know, post-surgical injury. I always like to tell the students, the residents, the fellows that I mentor with in the clinic, you know, uh, to further, to further uh, talk about your point is not that you have to verbalize this out loud to your patients or who you're working with, but I always kind of frame it as make your clinical decisions like you're about to go to court and defend them. Not that it's that serious mm-hmm. in, in 99% of cases, but if someone looked at you like we were just talking about and said, oh, you gave that patient a calf stretch because they sprained their ankle yesterday. Well, why'd you do that? You should be able to quickly right there say, well, they sprained their ankle, so they're having swelling. They're going to have stiffness. They need to maintain their ankle dorsiflexion and do that. Same thing with ice. Like you said, it doesn't have to be this is what I do or this is what I don't do. It can be, well, uh, it's been a few days after their injury. They're still swelling, so I'm going to put ice to see if that will help reduce their swelling. And just having that logical and that rationale and working through those clinical decision-making processes in your head, whether you're an athletic trainer, whether you're a physical therapist, mm-hmm. uh, and having those really good justifications not only for your patients or for other people if they ask you, but for yourself. Yeah. And they're not questioning you. They just want to know. And, I, you know, that goes to the point as for our students, and congratulations on soon-to-be preceptor or to a site but the idea is not to, to go to Sean and say, Sean does it this way, this way I need to do it. It's Sean does it this way, Jeremy and Sophia do it this way, you know, Dr. Yellen does it this way. And so when they graduate, they've had 22 different ways to treat an ankle injury. Pick what you think is best. And just like you said, could you justify what you're doing? And that's the way you practice, you know, yeah. not just this is what we we're taught to do. And that's why faculty are made up of more than one individual. And that's why you go to multiple sites and have multiple preceptors or clinical instructors uh, it's for much as much as it is to get variability in your learning experiences also to get exposure to different clinicians and the way that they treat their patients yeah. and like we said there's not necessarily always going to be a right or wrong answer no matter what the topic is whether yeah. it's ice or, or the and, best and thing I've, for back pain i've told our students how many things are we doing right now that in 30 years we're going to be saying what were why were we what were we thinking hopefully just about everything <laughs> <laughs> hopefully but scary at the same time it's like everything we're doing will get proven wrong and then we'll be wondering why we did it that way but that's yeah. what science is so i, I kind of on the topic of using ice in the athletic training room, we sometimes use it as a um, 
as a buy-in tool. Like some of the kids will, hey, can I just get some ice? Okay, well, here, let's, why don't we show you the foam roller first and then we'll give you the ice. You know, like do the work first, do the, do what we really want and then we'll give you that piece and then that way maybe you'll come back or you have a good experience, that kind of thing. And sometimes it's like, oh, wait, I don't need the ice anymore after that. And it's but, not harming them. You're not purposely giving them something you know is going to cause harm, but if it makes them feel better, you kind of almost have an ethical duty to explore that as well. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a point I, I drew upon in, in the in the presentation is that if I have a patient that is dead set, that ice or heat is the best thing for this because they've been experiencing this type of pain for years, I will never look at someone in the eyes and say, oh, you know what? The evidence says that's actually not doing anything for you. Because like I said, there's such a subjective component to these types we of things. We could be here for hours on current treatments that do that. 100%. And <laughs> that I think those, do that. And when it comes to those patients that are just dead set and, you know, this is the way that it works and this is how it makes me feel better, they're probably not going to have really a lot of buy-in for other things you want them to do. They might do them, but they're still going to get that ice at the end, like you said. So, yep. uh, and, you're, and you're just further on the agenda too. Like I, like I mentioned, you know, you look at practice guidelines and we know best treatments for injuries is normally not something sitting there getting an ice pack put on you for 15 minutes. It's movement, it's exercise, it's stretching, it's strengthening. It's working on power, endurance, whatever it may be. So conditioning, so to say, those high school athletes that they need to, you know, do some active work before they have that kind of passive modality, whether that's really benefiting them or not, that's up to them. That's up to the clinician to decide. But making sure that you're doing those other things that we do have in the literature that are more definitive and showing improvements for recovery from athletic-related injury. Awesome. Dr. Sean Kennedy, somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's going to be the best way? You can reach out to me via email. Uh, that'd be a great way because I'm on that literally every day. It's just my first name, Sean, S-C-A-N dot, my last name, Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y at memorialherman.org. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, but honestly, I, I don't even know what my handle is off the top of my head. So <laughs> you can find it if you see Sean Kennedy and it. it's uh, got some Memorial Herman something in there. It's probably me. So, All right. And then Dr. Nablak. Um, yeah. So easiest is Google UHMAT program, click on faculty, but my email is uh, M-A-K-N-O-B-L-A at central.uh.edu. Very good. And obviously you know how to get a hold of me, but this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash cryotherapy research. Again, with Dr. Sean Kennedy, Dr. Mark Knobloch, live at the Memorial Herman Sports Medicine Update here in Kitty, Texas, uh, 2022. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash cryotherapy. And that is a wrap. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.